0: Good morning. The title of the message is "Relentless Reaction." It's not a marriage uh, conflict counseling class. It's talking about faith, relentless. And when you think about that word, it's it's never giving up. It's persevering. And think about it as Christians, we have the most resources. We have the most reason. To never give up of anybody. Now think about my life growing up. How many times there would be something I want to change. You know, maybe it's in college. And you're waking up the next morning hungover, miserable. Going, I will never do that again. I want to change. I'm really going to go after who I am. And it would last a few hours. It would last long enough for the hangover to go away. And then that would be the end of it. Or you'd see an area of your character. And I remember so many times, you know, usually in a, a you know, moment of discouragement or guilt, I'd get my Bible out and go, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to do this Christian life thing. And you know, You read a few verses and initially you feel great. And then if the change didn't happen on my time frame, I'm like, well, that was a waste. That didn't do anything. Put the Bible back on the shelf. You know, I was so challenged by one of the readings uh, in the book, a question was asked by the author. He was talking about the concept of perseverance and said, if you had two choices for 2012, one of them was you could have a difficult, challenging year, but at the end of it you would be closer to God. Or you could have an easy year. Life would be awesome. Life would be great. You wouldn't have any challenges, but at the end of it, you were distant from God. What would you pick? You know, that's one of those questions that as you're reading it, you just you just feel the conviction hit your heart. Because you know what the right answer is. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want the one where I'm close to God. Really? You know, that's not why we feel conviction when that question is posed. Because what my heart thought is, well, I want both. I want choice three. I want the easy road, the normal life, the comfortable schedule, and be close to God at the end of it. That's the choice that I want. Choice three, the author made a mistake and he didn't, you know... He, he was too busy. The, you know, was probably in there, and they edited it out and only gave you two choices. You know, the Bible only gives us two choices. In James chapter 1, one of the most challenging passages in all the Scriptures, and it says in James 1, verse 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's only two choices. If you want to be mature and complete, God does that work in your life, in my life, through perseverance. Or... And see, we never want to choose immaturity, but if we choose to not persevere, we're saying, "Okay, in 2012, I want to be incomplete and immature." Yeah, you ever had somebody call you immature? You don't go, "Man, thank you, that's awesome." Yes. It's never a positive, upbuilding thing. You know, I don't know anybody that's set their. They're New Year's resolutions. My, My goal for 2012 is to grow in my immaturity. We always want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus. And God says, okay, I will do that. But perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete. It's the only option we have. Which goes back to the question that we read in our reading. If you could have two plans for 2012, would it be the good life that leads to immaturity or the path of perseverance where you end up close to God and more like His Son, Jesus? See, if we're going to get there, we need to be relentless into uh, you know, the life that we pursue and the reactions that we go after. If God could sit down with you and just say one sentence, what would it be? Like, what would you want to hear? You know, some of the things in the Bible, how about this? Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, that'd be a good one. You sit down with Jesus and he says, oh man, you are so awesome. You're so amazing. Come and share in the master's. Happiness, you're like, oh man, that's that's an incredible one. How about this one? Your faith is so great that your request is granted. we are like, oh, that, that would be a good one to hear. You know what? That's the story we're going to read about today. Go over to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read about a woman that was relentless in her faith. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to read verse 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed from that very hour. She had to choose a faithful response to some big challenges. You know, the the first response she faced was the silence of God. You ever felt that? You know, she had a problem. You know, every parent knows the challenge of, of a sick child. Every parent would go, I I would gladly take the sickness on myself so that my child could be fine. You feel so helpless and your heart just goes out. You know, you can't help but have compassion. And that's her situation. And she's crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. maybe that's where you're at right now. You've been praying desperate prayers. And Jesus did not answer a word. What do a lot of people do at that point? They quit. They quit on God. He doesn't care. He doesn't hear my prayer. He's too busy for me. I don't matter. I've prayed about this so many times. and No answer. Week after week and month after month. You know, so many times when you're studying the Bible with people and you ask them, tell me about your spiritual journey. Almost everybody has one or more of these kind of stories. You know, there was a period of time and I thought, I really want to do what's right. And I tried and nothing happened. You know, I was hurting and I went for help and God didn't do anything. He didn't fix my situation. He didn't answer my prayer. So I said, forget it. You know what, God calls us to have a relentless faith. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it guarantee that the first time we pray for something, the first time we make a request, that God is going to answer, yes. Yes. Yeah, we can always make a request, but answers are given in God's timing. Now we read a passage uh, a few weeks ago in Isaiah forty. You can just write the reference down, twenty seven to twenty nine. But way back in about seven hundred and fifty BC, the prophet Isaiah is saying, Why do you say? Oh God, why are you far from my crying? My face is hidden from you. It says, He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. Yeah, throughout the history of mankind, we've wrestled with what to do when our request seems to go unanswered. Every parent knows. You do not always give a kid everything they ask for. you know, what if God answered your prayer for the first person you requested to be married to? That always brings about humility. Oh, wow. Every parent knows. There's things that kids ask for that aren't good for them. There's things that they ask for that are fine for them, but you want to see how serious they are. Remember, God says perseverance must finish its work so that you can become mature and complete. Yeah, one of the most important aspects of this is when God is silent is to have the humility to say his understanding, his thoughts, his ways are beyond our understanding. It takes humility to say that. And it takes humility to live it out in the midst of a crisis. Because when we get bitter with God, what are we doing? We're assuming that we know better. And that we should be able to understand. No, it's it's beyond understanding. That means there's no possible way that God could explain it where you go, oh, now I get it. That's what it means to be beyond understanding. But when we get in a situation, we feel like, well, I have a right to, to, you know, know the inside scoop. And God says, nope. Because I'm trying to make you into my son. I'm trying to make you into a godly man or woman. So you don't have that right. She was faithful. You know, life is a test. It's not a celebration. Heaven is a celebration. That's where we have no tests. No trials of any kind. It's just joy to joy to joy. But life here on earth isn't that way. Why? Because God is molding us into the likeness of His Son. She was faithful and persistent. Say, what's the second thing she had to react to? What do you do when people hurt you? When they're mean to you? When they're offensive? Okay, so Jesus is silent. She I mean, she she is begging, she's crying out because her, her daughter's hurting. Yeah, you know, what are the spiritual men that Jesus is raising up to lead Christianity? What's their awesome response? Send her away. You're bugging us. Leave us alone. You're pestering me. You're annoying. I'm trying to get some peace and quiet. And you just keep yakking on and on and on and on. Go away. So what do you do when somebody who claims to love God and serve Him treats you badly? You know what society does? They write off Christianity. You know, I believe more damage has been done uh, to seekers' faith by a false version of Christianity, by damage done amongst you know leaders in the community. And people go, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Forget it. Oh, you go to church and look at how you treated me. Fine. Is that what they teach you at your church? Is that what your Bible teaches? I don't have anything to do with it. You know what? Your faith is tested when somebody sins against you. You know, it's especially tested when it's somebody who who has faith and conviction. You know, somebody said, you know, I am trying to sin on a regular basis and you're in my path. And so, get ready. You might be hurt, but you really wouldn't be all that surprised or bent out of shape. But what catches us off guard is when somebody who's supposed to be loving, supposed to be kind, supposed to be a protector spiritually, hurts you. A lot of people give up on their faith at that point. That's why Jesus says things like, How often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. As many as it takes. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, what's the speck? A sin that you observe What's the plank? Your response to their speck. Well, which is the bigger sin? The sin that occurred or the response to the sin? Well, Jesus calls it a speck and a plank. I think we, we learn a lot about our own heart, about how we respond when others sin against us. You know, how will we ever suffer if no one sins against us? Now, God doesn't like it when we sin, but God uses the sin that people commit to mold us into the likeness of his son. Think about this. We wouldn't have a chance to be saved if people hadn't sinned against Jesus. He would never have been killed. How do you learn to forgive? Forgive. If no one ever needs forgiveness from you. you know, the fact is, you know, nobody likes being sinned against. But only by being sinned against can a whole part of our character be molded into the likeness of Jesus. You know, another challenging verse is when Jesus hung there on the cross and looked at the people that crucified him and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Satan has a field day because of planks. Now, see, the problem with the plank is it messes up our ability to help the person with the speck. So no, here you had this woman and she is begging Jesus for help. Now, you know, you, you gotta be able to understand the, the political and racial tensions going on with this interaction. First of all, uh, society of that day, you know, you didn't you didn't interact with women if you were a guy publicly. Then she's a Canaanite woman, which that was not a compliment. And the best way I could describe the tension would have been the equivalent of when, when you know racial tensions were high and like members of the Ku Klux Klan, like that kind of level of tension. And that person's coming for help. And you're like, no way, get away. That's the level of animosity that are there. Uh, Josephus, the great Jewish historian, said, you know, the people of Tyre and Sidon are our bitterest enemies. You know, it's so hard for us to kind of think in those terms. Because we live in a society where there is injustice, but for the most part, we treat each other pretty, pretty well. But th- there was a Fierce hatred. And this woman's saying, I need help. And the disciples are like, get away. You bug me. She keeps bothering us. Any conflict that are blocking your path, to being like Christ. Remember where we started, you know. Consider it pure joy. When you tra- uh, you know when you face trials of many kinds. People, I find, are usually the biggest trials that we face. Never us, other other people, not in this room, right. the greatest heart test and the more you care the bigger the trial you know you're not all that bent out of shape if a total stranger does something because you're like I don't even know you who cares but when it's somebody you care deeply about that's when the test really happens how do you do when people hurt you third test test what kind of reaction do you have when the words of Jesus seem way too overwhelming? Go back to Matthew 15 In verse 24 Jesus says, "I was sent only the lost sheep of Israel, meaning not you. I'm on a mission. You know, Jesus said, I- I'm going to preach the gospel to the Jews. And you're not one. Okay, so she dealt with this silence. Now his disciples are like, get away, you're bugging us. And Jesus says, nah, you're no, you're not in my mission category. What'd she do? She comes and kneels before Jesus. Lord, help me. What incredible humility. Jesus says, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Like, did Jesus just say that? Yeah. She said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You know what's amazing about her humility? Is Jesus is saying, man, the Canaanites are a bunch of dogs. You know what she said? Yeah. But will you still give me some crumbs? You know, Jesus has a way of trying to... uh, you know find the the touchy subject and then then poke that you know you got a bruise and Jesus is like does that hurt you ever felt like that i'm here i just want to serve you and you keep bugging me about this one area she's like yeah yeah So why do you leave that area alone? No. Because that's really where the heart's tested. You no, know, that's like saying, I am so humble, except for this one area. No, you're not humble at all. This is just the one area that exposes the pride that's in your heart. Jesus knows where the touchy issues are in our life, and he will put you in a situation to bring it out she begged for crumbs it's amazing how this woman persevered and Jesus says you have great faith your request is granted you say what what should we do when we feel like Jesus words are overwhelming be even more humble You know what she didn't do? How dare you call me a dog? I'm offended. You're going to challenge me and you're going to call my people dogs? No way. You're not Lord. I don't have to sit here for that. You know, the fact is, if you want to get to heaven, you do. We don't determine the parameters, we need to have humility. But there are so many times, Jesus never minced words. He wasn't trying to, you know, make Christianity palatable. He just laid out the standard and says, here's what we got to do. Look at another interaction like this in John 6. Jesus uh, Jesus has a big crowd, and every time he got a big crowd, he seemed to thin it out with hardline teaching. And he's telling the people, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood or you have no life with me. He was hard And the people are like, oh my goodness, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they start grumbling. And he says, are you going to leave too? And people walk away. And look at what he says in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave two, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's a lot of times where the Bible will seem absolutely overwhelming. Impossible. I can't do this. I'm too busy. I got this reason and this excuse and this, you know, hang up and I just can't obey. You know what Jesus says? Yes, you can. And it's the only way. You know, sometimes we think if if we can just wait a week or a month and kind of bide our time, that the next time we get together to look at His Word, there's going to be an easier verse. No, it still reads the same. Jesus did not go, Okay, I'm sorry for calling the Canaanites dogs. You know, forgive me for that one. Okay, I really want you to become a Christian. I'm sorry. No, he he let it stand because Jesus was testing your faith and Jesus tests our faith. So what kind of test are you in right now? Any one of these three areas where you stopped being relentless, where you gave up, where you tried? You know, maybe you made it through the first one and you got some action out of God, and things seem to be happening, and then somebody offended you, and you're like, forget it, I've had enough. Or you work through the conflict, and you're like, okay, now I'm ready to go. And then you see the words, uh, you know, of God, and you're like, I can't do this, no way, this ridiculous is beyond me, too bad. And so you're, you're just in a holding pattern. You ever been in a holding pattern? You know, you fly somewhere on a jet and you get to the airport and you're all fired up. You see the lights of the city and then you just start flying around in a circle. You're like, um, can we just land? You know, flying around in a circle, it doesn't get you anywhere. And neither does attending church without intent to obey what God's Word says. You know, some of us This morning, you're in a holding pattern for one of these reasons. Life is not a party, life is a test. Heaven is a party, and we want to make it to heaven. But it's going to take relentless faith, it's going to take a relentless reaction to whatever we face. Say, if God has been silent, keep praying keep pursuing he's not busy he's not unattentive he knows exactly what he's doing he knows you better than you know yourself and at just the right time he will move are you stuck with conflict have you given up on God because somebody sinned against you Listen, forgive. We talked about forgiveness before. When you forgive, then that person doesn't have a hold on you anymore. If you choose not to forgive, you're giving them the constant ability to continue to hurt you. If you don't forgive, it's like taking a videotape or a picture of... Of the the offense and just recycling it in your mind and thinking about it again and again and again. Lack of forgiveness is drinking poison, hoping the other person's going to die. No, we're the one who's going to die. You say, Well, I want to forgive, but they're not repenting at all. That's on them. They don't have to be repentant in order for you to forgive. Forgiveness just releases your right to retaliation and revenge. The Bible says let God deal with that, He's much better anyway. Or maybe you're overwhelmed with the Word of God. You want to change, but it just seems impossible. You feel like the commitment is too big. What's it going to take? Greater humility. Don't argue with the Word of God. Just beg for crumbs. You know, one of the things about perseverance is, and and this is something that, that I always have to remind myself in prayer, is too often I'm praying for the circumstances to go away. What God calls us to do is pray for the humility and strength to bear up spiritually and gracefully and faithfully under the circumstances. God will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. If we have a relentless faith, we can hear those words at the end. You have great faith. Your request is granted. If you're stuck, get unstuck. God loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to say these words to each one of us. But it's going to take a relentless faith to get there. Let's stand as we close in one final song.